Episode 89 of the Bevan James R Show, the Fitness Behaviour Podcast. Where's your 20% time? Welcome along to episode 89 of the Bevan James Isle Show, the Fitness Behaviour Podcast, the podcast that goes over all the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so that you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, I have to say, this may be sounding a little bit different to you today. It's it's kind of odd for me, I have to admit. I'm, I do another podcast called I Am Talk, and I Am Talk is a show about triathlon about Ironman triathlon and we're actually I'm leaving tomorrow to go to Hawaii and do some kind of podcasting from Hawaii and when it comes to I am talk I do all the technical side of things I do all the geeky stuff and the mics and stuff but the guy I do the show with he's gone early and he's taken all our equipment so I went to sit down to do the show today and I didn't have um, the gear that, that I needed to do the show. So I've kind of, I'm using a portable recording set. I've got a handheld mic, so I'm actually holding the microphone like I'm a singer right now. It feels a little bit odd, uh, but hopefully it works for you guys today. So, but before we get into the main part of today's show, I want to share a subject that's quite close to my heart. It's a subject that I've, it's about my industry to be honest. It's about the fitness industry as a whole and something that's kind of concerning to me in the industry right now, and I kind of wanted to share this with you. I know today's, you know, that fitness or the Bevan James Isles show is kind of about, you know, the behaviours of fitness and stuff like that. But I think there are some things that I like to share with you guys, and kind of what I'm seeing in my industry right now. And in particular, there's one thing that, well, let me actually take a step back. So the first thing I want to talk about is one of the reasons I love exercise so much. One of the reasons I love exercise so much, and actually, I'm quite fortunate in life that my Two of my, my, my three biggest passions are people, fitness, and music. Those are the things that drive me in life. I, if, to me, my life is lived well if it's kind of creating high level connection with people, if there's an aspect of music in my day, and if there's an aspect of fitness in my life. And that's why I feel very fortunate about the life I've created for myself because pretty much every moment of every day, I'm doing one of those things. It might be mentoring. You know, a person that might be teaching group fitness and group fitness is the ultimate, really, because it's music with exercise for people. Uh, it might be coaching people. It might be me playing my piano. But I really try to create a life where my days are filled up with the things I love doing. And the, the, one of the reasons I really love fitness and music is it's two of the areas of life where there is no class system. You know, when we think about music, in, in all levels of humanity, there is musical expression. And it's one of those things, it's, like, it's one of the reasons I love playing in a band. Like, the guys in my band, like, when you work in fitness, one of the downfalls of working in fitness is you kind of get surrounded by people who all, all they ever think about is fitness. And while I love my colleagues and the people who are my friends in my industry, I think it's sometimes healthy to have people who are outside of your industry as friends because they bring a different perspective to the world. And one of the real things I love about playing my band is that the guys in my band are completely different to my fitness friends and what they care about and the way they live their life is completely different. And and I love that about that. You know, it's one of the real values of me playing music is that I get to explore a different type of person. But that's the thing with music in the, as a whole. There is, you know, when you, you go meet musicians and you sit down in a room with a bunch of musicians, what you do for a job is really not that important. What you own is really not that important. Your, your stature in the world is really not that important. What's important is the music. And you know, when I sit down and play with my band, you know, we'll play our music. But then in the interim, what we end up doing is we'll geek out on music and we just talk about music. Our, our, our kind of, our currency is music. And that's what we use to kind of connect with each other and explore and grow. And I just love that, that you know, you put out a guitar, you put out some instruments and you can have all levels of people together in that room making music. And in that moment, who you are or, or the labels that the world puts upon yourself, it really don't matter. 
And to me, one of the real benefits of exercise in my lifetime has been that exercise is the same thing. I've often said over the years that one of the real values of exercise is you can be doing exercise and you can have one of the city's top lawyers standing next to somebody who's unemployed. Or, you know, a school teacher next to, I don't know, a nurse next to a doctor next to... There's, there's this mixing of people that is really amazing. And because exercise, like music, is a classless thing. You know, if you join a running club, if you love running, you're going to go and you're going to notice that in this running club there's a lot of different people from all walks of life and the running connects them. <clears throat> now, why is it important? Well, it's, it's really important for a few reasons and, and in some ways it's, you know, if we look at what's happening in politics in the world right now, it's a bit of a scary time in the world of politics and um, I was listening to an interview um, I can't remember what it was, it was some other podcast recently. And I was just talking about how one of the problems in, in the American political system right now is, and this is a minor problem, but it's actually they think there's a big flow-on effect, is that all the politicians no longer have lunch together. And I can't remember the exact details of the story, but but really what they were just saying is back in the day, I don't know exactly when that day was, but back in the day, these, these politicians would kind of all eat together. And so they kind of became friends. And so they had these connections that while they may have different philosophies around what creates success for the country as a whole, that these people got to know each other as people. And when they got to know each other as people, they became more understanding of the other side's needs. They became better at working together to provide solutions and so on. And the, one of the downfalls nowadays is in the kind of the Washington kind of political system is that there's become a divide between these people. So they no longer actually connect together. And so they're kind of creating a bigger divide between themselves and their ability to work together. It's funny, isn't it? You know, like, you know, people who are kind of anti any type of lifestyle, you know, if we think of the person who's anti-gay people, and then when they start to actually meet some gay people, pretty quickly for most of those people, they, they break down those kind of previous perceptions that they'd had in the past because they realise that these people are just people as well and, you know, they have the same problems and concerns that I have and actually, you know, maybe my previous thoughts are a bit unrealistic and I could be more open to how other people live life. When we think about this stuff, when we think about the actually connecting with more different types of people, is actually, a, actually, actually I remember this with one of my runners. I had a guy who joined our running group a few years ago and he was a guy who was a little bit older, so I'm not quite sure exactly of the age, but a little bit older and quite a successful businessman. And he joined our group and, you know, like he was one of the ones who did our half marathon group. So we've got a half marathon group and then we've got our 10K group and our 5K group. And our 5K group is for beginner people. And this guy joined our group because he was trying to get faster at half marathons. And he was a guy who'd been an athlete his whole life. So he was, he was basically, he's, he's a very successful man. And it was really interesting listening to him talk about how important this group had been for him because it made him realise that he used to look at people who are overweight in kind of a, a judgmental way that was a little bit unfair. And that when he joined the group and he saw the 5k people overcome so much challenge to achieve the goals that were important to them and to see the value of exercise and all the rest of it, he actually shifted his perception on how he saw overweight people in society. And... Uh, you know, that opened him up to a much better and accepting way for those around him in his world. Which, which as I kind of talk about this, you can see that this would be a really valuable thing. And, and to me, that's what exercise and music can do in people's lives. That it allows us to expose ourselves to people who maybe we wouldn't normally hang around, but maybe who are well outside of our circle of connections. Because it might be one thing to say, well, you know, hang out with people outside of your workplace. But I imagine most of the people you hang around with, generally speaking, are probably within the same demographics of yourself. You know, they probably earn a similar kind of income. They probably have the similar kind of tastes and so on. But when you get exposed to people who are completely different, it can be a really, really valuable thing in your life. So, where am I going with this? Well, this is one of the biggest problems I'm having with my industry right now, is that my industry is starting to create these kind of levels of, 
of worlds for people coming into the industry. Uh, and, and the real example is there's a gym called Equinox. Equinox is a gym in America who have been very successful. They're a very, very successful gym. Um, and Equinox have branded themselves as the beautiful people. Um, if you if you look at what they do, it's it's very much all about beautiful people and and there's an elitism to their gym. Now, are Equinox the first gym to do this? No. Uh, are there many other gyms around the world doing this? Yeah. Have they found a market that is really profitable? Well, I don't know much about their business, but it seems as though they're doing a very good job of defining a market, positioning themselves in a market, and um, creating a product that caters to that market. Now, Equinox is a business, so it's their job to make profit and so on. But my concern is, are we starting to make fitness one of these things where the real value of fitness, that whole idea that I get to connect with all different types of people in ways that adds value to my life that I may not have seen in the past, does that start to get too removed when we start to create divides and between types of people will surround ourselves with when we exercise? It's a really interesting question, isn't it? It's a really interesting question to think about. And I suppose what would be my kind of thing that I want you to take away from this? Well, I think the thing is, is who do you want to support with your fitness dollar? Because, you know, like, markets respond to the demands of the customers, you know, and some really good examples around that, like if you think about some of the, um, you know, if you think about what's happening with sugar right now in the industry, well, you know, for the longest time, fat was the enemy, and so, so the, the you know, the capitalist market, <laughs> I'm getting a bit political now, aren't I? Uh, the capitalist market created lots of products that got rid of the need, you know, showing fat, and so, you know, suddenly fat was the enemy, and so the, you know, business community came up with products that removed fat, and, you know, now you can argue that it created the sugar problem, and so on, but now, you know, now in public consciousness, sugar has been having its finger pointed at it, and saying, this is the enemy of our diet, and what you're noticing is that the market is responding with lots of kind of sugar-free options, or, or healthy options and you know and so, you know, that counter against that sugar and that's a real response to the market responding to or the the business world responding to what the market demands and to me when i think about well how do i influence that i, I do think there is now i do think there is a little bit about where am i going to put my money and ultimately I think about when you think about the choices you make around fitness, there's lots of choices that go into place. There is, will this person or this place that I'm moving towards, will that help me achieve my result? There is, um, does it look like it is a professional organization? You know, do they look like they actually are going to look after me? There is, to, do, you know, do they have good testimonials? There's kind of lots of things you're going to look for. But sometimes I think maybe there's a better question of what's the underlying philosophy that this world is trying to sell me? What's the underlying philosophy of what the world is trying to tell me? It's, it's one thing, this is actually a bit of a life thing that I've been thinking about lately. Is this, this kind of, <clears throat> you know, I always talk about this on the show, this kind of the desire for older people to still look young and, and that, you know, that... As we get older, we, we try to grip onto youth. And actually that, you know, if we were to fight to find people in different ways, not based on look, but actually to find about what they achieve and who they are as a person, um, you know, I wonder if that would shift. But that, that kind of thinking takes, that takes a level of us being inquisitive about people to explore their, really, their greatness and what they really represent as a person. And to me, I think that's ultimately always should be our job. Like I was actually in class this morning, I was teaching a spin class, and there's a lady who comes to my class who was an amazing athlete in her time. She won some of the world's toughest endurance sports races in her time. Now, 99% of the people who come to my classes don't know she's ever done anything. She's just another member at the gym. 
But I just have so much respect for her because I know what she's achieved in her life. And I know the kind of person that she is. And, and I often think about this when, you know how sometimes some people, they'll put judgment on someone because of a behaviour, but they don't really look at the person. And a really good example of this is the person who swears. You know, there are people who are out there who swear a lot, and there are people who will reject somebody just because they swear. But if you look at the person and you look at fundamentally who they are, and everything about you tells that, that this person is a phenomenal person, then, you know, you might not like swearing, but maybe you're re you're removing someone from your life for something that's quite small, whereas if you look at the, the fundamental person behind that, that will give you, that will open you up to what they can offer to the world. And, and I think this is maybe something I'm trying to work on in myself and my, in my life right now, it's this whole idea of look for the real person. You know, look for the real person that I'm interacting with right now. Really start to understand who that person is. And, and, you know, when you can understand that, then you can make better choices around where they fit in your life. And I kind of feel that's what I'm talking about here with the fitness thing. That ultimately what we're doing is that our industry is to create, starting to create divide. And, and this is the problem with Equinox, because Equinox is almost becoming the model that everyone else is starting to chase because people are seeing they're making money there. So how do we influence that? And, and ultimately, I think that's the thing we need to think about is, is when we make the choices we're going to make around areas of our life where we're going to be spending time and energy, what is the underlying philosophy I'm buying into here? What is the underlying thing that I'm actually encouraging by putting my, my hard-earned money my support towards. And to me, now you're going to make your choices, but to me, I want to, I, I want to spend my fitness dollar, I, well I know, I'm trying to create worlds where it is about anyone can come along, where, where it is that kind of thing I talk about, this whole idea of that it, it enhances what exercise can bring to people's life because we all understand that fundamentally difference brings value. And um, so when you think about Probably there's two things I want to say here is really understand who you're supporting. Have a look at what their deeper meaning is. Is that actually going to work against you or is that going to enhance you? And to me, if, if, I, if I'm looking at the different worlds we have, if we're creating a world where it means that you have to be a certain way to fit in, I think you're losing value. I think you're missing out on something that is so powerful with exercise. And so for me, I would be more attracted to an environment where I am going to be running next to the rubbish driver, next to the lawyer, next to the school teacher, next to the, you know, the checkout lady. To me, that's what exercise can offer us. So as you think about the world you're in, and you think about if you are particularly someone right now who's actually thinking about moving towards a fitness world, Think about what that world really does represent. And maybe, make sure, you, or, or maybe, I'm not sure if maybe is the right word there, but put yourself in the place that's actually going to offer more to your life than just doing some squats and some runs and stuff. Because to be honest, if, if most fitness professionals are going to be honest to you, designing workouts isn't the hardest thing. Now, admittedly, there's levels. You know, if you want to get really detailed and get a really detailed program from a top professional, like an All Blacks kind of program, yeah, that takes a lot of work and someone needs a lot of knowledge. But if someone wants just to put together a CrossFit workout, you know, if, if you've got your knowledge, that's really easy. So fitness design's not that hard. But creating a world around fitness, that's something that, that the, the leader really needs to be aware of. And I suppose what I'm saying here is I would like you to support leaders who are actually doing the kind of work that offers so much more than just the program. So, jeepers creepers, I've done 18 minutes of my intro. As always, I can go on with this stuff, guys. I just think this is really important. I, I just, I'm just not sure if creating divides with fitness is something we really want to be aiming for. So how can we make sure that we're supporting the right cause? Anyway, um, ba -ba 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 
patrons. If you want to become a patron of this show, it's very simple. You just go to bevanjamesisles.com and uh, you just go there. There's a patronage link on the front page and in the show notes for today's show. So you can just go there, put a little click on that link, go to, or go to a Patreon page and you can just support the show that I put out every couple of weeks. I've got to say, I've got a few great patrons today. Karina... Hirschman, uh, Karina Hirschman, Karina, I always struggle for your last name, Karina is actually a really good friend of Joe and I and she actually house sits for us a lot, uh, she's doing a New York Marathon in a few weeks, she's kind of got a few niggles which always happens when you're doing a marathon and she's managing her way through that really well, um, Karina's also a bit of a rock star, just um, a very kind of successful woman so you know I like that about her. Um, her, her nickname is Lifting Higher, Rosa Scott is someone else I all know as well, uh, Rosa Scott was one of my old coaches who actually used to work for us and she's now in Queenstown. I think she's still keeping some coaching up with Di down in Queenstown. Does a great job down there. Um, and she was the artist who I talked about a while ago. So she's a deeper level. Then we also have Paula Green, the powerful Punisher. Uh, Paul is again a lady in the UK and she's this year Paul has been doing 50 races because she's turned 50 this year she's doing 50 races in this year including an Ironman and the London Marathon and all these kind of crazy endurance events so uh, I think she's got a few more weeks to go but she's definitely killing that and then we've got Marion Clatt the Momentum and then we've got George Baker the Wild Bill so if you want to become a patron of the show just go to bevanjamsiles.com and it's all on there just one thing before I get into the main gist of today's show, gotta say I've got a, I'm working on an online course. Um, I'm going to be releasing an online course now. I've got to admit it's probably not going to be ready to market until early 2017, but it's kind of my side project that I'm working on right now. So it's this whole idea of um, well, you, I'll tell you more about it in in time. But if you are looking, and it's kind of designed more for the beginner exerciser, but if you are a beginner exerciser and you are thinking about getting into exercise or you're looking for a challenge, look out for 2017 because uh, my online course is going to be out and I'm pretty excited about the work I'm doing on it. So yeah, I'll let you know more about that all in time. Anyway guys, I'm going to put the music on and let's get into the main gist of today's show. There's two things I want to talk about in the main gist of today's show, and the maybe not so as structured as what I'd normally be around the part of this part of the show, but it's kind of I want to introduce the idea of twenty percent time, and twenty percent time is something that it is many of you may have heard of, and many of you may not have heard of, but twenty percent time kind of is a thing that started I don't know if it started, but it's a thing that's been popularized by Google. A few years ago, and, and the whole idea of Google's twenty percent time is that now. And to be honest, I think they actually dropped it. I could be wrong, but I think that I'm not quite sure if they still do twenty percent time. But basically, there was levels of staff. I'm not sure if every staff member at Google got this, but there was a level of staff who, within their work week, they were allowed twenty percent of their time to devote to any project they wanted, and. There was no criteria around this. They, you know, it was very much what interests you. You can go ahead and create. And through twenty percent time, Google have had some really good successes. So, for example, Gmail, which let's be honest, is probably the most successful and most popular email product in the world, was somebody's twenty percent time. So, you know, that investment of allowing their staff to have twenty percent time came up with products like Gmail. Now, to be fair, again, I'm not quite sure if it's actually still around. It might be, it might not be, I'm not quite sure. It's been a while since I've really looked into it. But it's a really interesting concept, isn't it? This whole idea of 20% time. Like, if you think of a work week, it's it's generally speaking, it's five days of eight hours work. And to think that you would give yourself one day a week to spend just doing the next level project is a really interesting thing to do. And, and and as I think about this kind of 20% time, it's something that I've worked on adding into my business over the last period of time, is this whole idea of a, a percentage of my time in my week needs towards to go towards me creating opportunities for the future of my business. And and I'll, I'll kind of tell you about my business in this way. I don't often talk about my business 
on the business front, but I'll kind of tell you about it. So you guys know I've got a running business and um, it's been going really well. Uh, we've been going in Christchurch for about eight years now. And, you know, you, one thing you sit down as a business owner is you kind of sit down and you think about where is future growth? How can we expand this thing we've built? So when I first started my business, it was a half marathon group. And then after a while, I thought, how do we expand this? Well, let's add the 5K, let's add the 10K. And then after a period of time, we added different time slots so we could have more people running in the in the week. Uh, and then last year, we set the goal of starting in a different region. So that's, you know, our core product's the same. But then what we're doing is expanding our reach. So we've kind of gone to Wellington and next year our aim is to go to Auckland and so on and so on. So those are really obvious ways to expand. So other ways we can look to expand our business is, is what we I always try to think about is that if we want to keep growing our business and our core competency and, and all the rest of it, how are we going to do that? And many people are good at that and, and if we reflect upon your life right now you know that whole idea of growth I imagine if I were to ask you right now if you 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 know you listening to this right now if I were to ask you what areas of your life would you want to grow in what would you say what are the answers that are popping up in your head right now as I throw that question at you maybe there's a career growth goal Maybe there's a financial growth goal. Maybe there's an exercise goal. Maybe there's relationship goals. Maybe there's spiritual goals or something like that. As you think about that question, what are the areas of your life that you want to grow in? Now, one of the problems with growth is it's outside of your regular life. So for me to grow, I need time. I need, I need the time to grow. If I don't have time to put into the growth, it's one thing to sit down and go, okay, well, I'd love to run a marathon, but if I aren't going to put the time into my life to be able to train, it ain't going to happen. Or it's going to happen really poorly, which tells me I'm not a very good runner, so what's the point? Give up. So when we think about areas of growth, and this is like what I've done with my business, is that I think about, well, how do we grow this business? And... We can all get pretty good at identifying the options that we have. So with my business, it's, it's reach, it's going further. It's different types of products. It's different products in different ways. So, you know, we might look at putting on running races. Uh, we might look at doing online versions of what we do. We like, might look at kind of doing some merchandising. You know, there's these kind of different types of things that we can add to our experience where we can help more people grow. Because ultimately that's our goal is how do we get more more people moving is kind of our objective. And so thinking of the ideas is often not the hard bit. Like when I asked you that question before is how do you where do you you know where do you want to grow in your life and what does that growth mean? I'm sure you came up with an answer. Like that's that's not the hard bit, is it? Of understanding where I want to grow and or you know, and how I grow. The hard bit's the doing, isn't it? The hard bit is that actually putting the time aside and making this stuff work. And this is why I love this whole idea of 20% time. And this whole idea of 20% time is that I'm going to devote 20% of my time to the growth of my life. I'm going to devote 20% of my time to the growth of my life. And if I'm going to use my business analogy right now, so I, I work, I do actually work a lot. I kind of always joke that I don't, but I do because I, it doesn't feel like work because I love it. But I do spend a lot of hours in my week working. Um, the, the, I suppose for me, the difference is it's not set hours where it's kind of like an hourly wage because I don't work in a typical job. I'm a, you know, I'm a work for myself. I'm self-employed. I've got my business and stuff. So it's a little bit different. It doesn't always feel like work. Because to me, in my mind, when I sit down and play piano, to me, that's part of my work day. But it actually doesn't actually bring any income in. Although, if my band takes off, who knows. But, um, but anyway, you kind of get where I'm going with this. So when I sit down in my work week and I really kind of think, okay, where do I get eight hours to work on the next level products for my business? And that's really where I try to structure my week. And it's really interesting because I'm working on a product for our business right now. Well, we've got two products that we want to work on. We want to expand to different regions. Uh, and then we're probably trying to bring out this totally new product in the next probably seven or eight months. Uh, and as I sit down each week, I'm kind of slowly making the steps 
to make these things happen. And I'm giving myself the time to make it work. Now, in the business sense, one, one approach that I have with my 20% time is I have, not that I want to waste that time. It's not that I, you know, I want to spend the next six months on something that's guaranteed to fail. But what I do want to do with that 20% time is I want to have a little bit of a kind of throwing mud at the wall approach. And that I'm willing to take some risks. With my with my you know it's twenty percent time in my business time I'm wanting to take a few risks around how or what I'm going to do. So for example the you know the, the expansion of regions isn't it's not much of a risk for us. It's kind of it's an obvious we've got a successful product in Christchurch. We've taken it to Wellington. It's proving to be successful. So to go to Auckland, it's not much of a risk. It's more how do we make it work? Whereas when we think about the other product we're trying to create. I'm not quite sure if it's actually going to be a total success. I think it is. Like I, I think it is. I think it's worth throwing some mud on this wall to see if it's going to be successful. But it might not be. And it might be that thing that I go, oh, like, but it might take off and it might be a massive thing where we can really influence a lot of people to love exercise. And to me, that's, the, that's kind of the mindset to have around my 20% time. And I know I'm kind of talking about in business here, but it's this whole idea of I am going to commit 20% of my time towards something that's not guaranteed, but it's worth exploring. And I'm going to put the work in, and at the end of the day, I'll, I'll try to make it as successful as possible. But if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. And as as I kind of talk about this, it's interesting because Joe and I, we, we do this in many fronts. So it's interesting if you look at, you know, if I think about how I do the financials of my business. So I, I always think there's a real responsibility to the financial side of yourself. And in my business life, one thing we always do is Joe and I always put pretty much 10% of, of income coming in in towards development of our business. So for every $100 our business earns, we put $10 of that aside towards developing so that when we get these moments where it's like, oh, here's something we can work on, we have money in the bank that allows us the luxury of being able to actually put some money in it in a way that doesn't feel risky for our business. But that's actually a philosophy that Joe and I put into our, our, our kind of own budget. Like Joe and I are quite anal budgeters. Uh, and, we, and we kind of sit down and each week we put a percentage of that $100, every $100 that we earn into, I think it is around 10%, I'm not exactly sure how much it is, but it's something like that. We put that into what we call our development column. And that money is there for Joe and I to do things that we feel are developing us. It might be... Um, it might be me for piano. Joe might choose to do a course. It might be some a, a, a kind of a trip, a travel trip that's actually going to challenge us. It might be traditional education. It might be some gear that you need for piano or, or the hobby that you've had. But the whole idea is that if I want to grow, if I can give myself a resource to grow, then there's a, it makes it it's a less of a barrier for growth. And I suppose this is where I'm kind of going with this whole idea of what I'm trying to firstly talk about in today's show, is that when we think about growth, we can all identify where we want to grow, and maybe how we want to grow, and where our endpoints want to be. But are we giving ourselves the time and resource to make it happen? Are we giving ourselves the time and resource to make it happen? And when Google said to their staff, we're going to give you 20% time, what they are saying is, we believe in growth, and we believe you need the tools and the ability to be able to grow. And when I think about my business, it's one thing I think about is that I need, I need time to be able to create this product that seven months from now will come out. I need time to be able to make that work, because if, if I can give myself that time, then there's a high chance I can make it work. But if it's that thing that's always on the last part of my list, it's never going to happen. I also need money. You know, like if I want to grow a product for my business, I need to be able to invest, you know, some money in, in what it needs to take make it work. Or if I need to grow as a person, I need money to make it work. And so I suppose the the real point that I'm trying to make here for you is, is and the thing I really want you to think about, like before I asked you, what are the areas of your life that you want to grow in? 
But then maybe the next question, which is a bit more of a challenging question, is how much are you chan- are you how much of a chance are you giving yourself at actually being able to grow? That's a really interesting question, isn't it? How much of a chance are you giving yourself at really being able to grow? I want to grow in slot the area that you came up with. How much of your chance are you giving yourself to grow in that area? Like if you're, you haven't exercised in a long time, how much of a chance have you given yourself to grow with exercise? Do, is it, do you never give it any time? Do you devote no money towards it? Do you, do you not use great support networks around you? How much of a chance do you give yourself to do that? And to me, that's, and I know 20% times, you know, 20% is a big number for people with time and, you know, not everyone can afford to put so much money aside or, you know, like the, the percentage will vary from person to person. But ultimately, I suppose my first point of today's show is that it needs some. It really needs some. If you want to grow, you need to have time resource, support, and those types of things, guidance, to be able to grow. So as you reflect upon the area that you've identified in your own life right now, and you think about that, and then you think about how much of a chance am I giving myself to grow in that area, maybe you can work around, and we'll call this is kind of a metaphor of today's show, but maybe it's time that you found 20% time in your life. Like, if you think of it that way, so again, I've identified that area. If, if, if I were to say to you, I was willing to commit, let's say 10% to it, let's say exercise. If I was willing to commit 10% of my time and my resource to my life in being successful with exercise and, let's say, nutrition, let's say you want to lose weight. If I were to 10% of my time towards achieving this and resource towards achieving this goal, do I think I'd be more successful in achieving this goal? I kind of feel you would. I kind of feel if you were to put, you know, let's say 10% of the time, it might be like five, six hours a week that you actually spent food planning, that you went and got some good advice from a good nutritionist who wrote you up a plan, who you set up some good tools in place, who allowed yourself to spend some good money on buying good foods and so on, who got a good personal trainer to work beside you with your exercise. Do you feel you'd be more successful? Do you think there's a higher chance of you achieving that growth? If you are someone who's thinking that right now, well, how do you make that work? And this is probably one of the, you know, so then how do I find the time? And it's one thing that a lot of people really struggle with is this kind of the finding of the time, this whole idea of it's my job to find the time. And it's some, you know, it's it's, it's one of those things I've, I've probably, you know, sometimes, I, you know, guys, I cross over the messages in the show, but, you know, I remember when I got rid of the TV in my life, when I was younger, I chopped the cord of my TV in my life, and, and it made me realize how much time I really had. And sometimes we just need to create some awareness around how we are using time. And if we actually look upon our lives and to think, you know, I might say, could you find five hours a week to devote, purely devote energy and focus on achieving the goal in the area you've identified? You might think five hours is so much. But if I were to do a real-time audit on your life, if I was really to audit your life, do you think five hours would actually be easily found? Now, for most of us, the answer is yes. I know for me, and I think I'm busy, and most of us do, but I'm pretty sure I could find another five hours in my week quite comfortably. So this is the kind of stuff you want to be thinking about. This whole idea of, I suppose if I'm going to recap this section what I want to say is, ultimately, you start to think about that metaphor of what's my 20% time? What's the area that I want to grow in? But what's my 20% time? You know, and what that means is, I how do I find that time to actually put the effort in to grow? And that can mean resource as well. So where, how do I find the money that's going to support that? How do I find the right people? All those types of things. But by doing that, there is a much higher chance you're going to be successful in your growth. So that's kind of the main part of today's show. The second thing I want to talk about in today's show is, is something that... It's a cookie deep, deep, man, cookie deep. The second thing I want to talk about in today's show is something that I hold kind of an insight. And I've talked a little bit about this over the last few podcasts, but I want to go a little bit deeper into it. 
you guys know I do the mentoring work and it's something I, I really love and it's something I um, get a lot of value from and uh, it seems to, you know, my clients seem to make big change, which is really rewarding. Uh, and ultimately, that's why they come to me. So to help them do that is really important. You know, it's kind of my measure, isn't it? If I'm not helping them change, I'm not doing my job. And um, and uh, in the last period of coaching, I've had lots of people achieve some really massive results. And one of the things that has really came through is when people find their next level place, when they find, I don't know if happiness is the right word, but when they find that place that works for them, the place where actually they, they're content in life and, and they're enjoying life and, and things are going well. One of the, the, one of the common pieces of feedback I get from my clients when they get to that place is, I feel like I'm being the real me. I feel like I'm being the real me. Like people come to me as a client, and you know, like they'll, you know, I, I when you when you come and see me, I kind of send you through a list of questions, you know, and uh, it's just to help me get some insight before we get started and so on. And so I kind of send through this list of questions, and you know, and I, one of the questions is, what do you hope to gain by working by me, work with me? And you know, you get a variety of answers, and you know, it's, we're all individuals, and all with different areas we want to work on. But ultimately, you know, there's these there's kind of variety of answers. And as people work with, we work together and they start to overcome the things that they were hoping to gain and they get to a place where they can consistently feel that they can live their life in. The, the, again, one of the feedback I always get is, so when, when, when people have achieved maybe what they've hoped to gain from working with me, one of the biggest pieces of feedback I get is, I feel like I'm being me. That's really powerful, isn't it? You know, like when you feel like you're being you. But that, that, that that's really got me thinking lately, isn't it? Is who are who are <laughs> such a deep question? Who are you? Like who are you right now? As you, again, I'm doing lots of. As I'm talking to you today, and I'm talking to the kind of the listener in the moment listening to this. But who are you? You know, like, if, and, and I sometimes wonder if that's, you know, as I've kind of had these experiences with my clients, is that, you know, part of my job for a lot of these people is just to help them figure out who they are and get them on the path where that person's leading the way. And then for them to trust that and sit in that for long periods of their lives. And as I kind of think about this as you know as how I put this into a show for you guys is if I go back to kind of asking you the listener the question of who are you do you know who that is because obviously when the people come to me they they're not quite sure or they've pulled away from it or they've allowed others or other influences in their life pull away from them making decisions that the real them wants them to make you know, it's funny, I actually had a client this morning and uh, we are talking about goals and I was saying a really good question to ask when you're doing your goals is what would I do if I had six months to live? And uh, they said, well, if I had six months to live, I'd, I'd sell everything and I'd go travel. And, I, and, I, and she, you know, and, and kind of part of the point was, well, it's highly unlikely I can sell everything because I have a life and responsibilities. And that's true, but, but there's no travel in her life. So, so something's missing because, you know, there's something about she needs that aspect of what travel would bring to her life into her life. And that was a real moment where we were showing well, the real you wants more of that. What's what you see travel would provide to your life. And for some reason, it's not there. And it's kind of what I'm thinking about here with what I'm talking about here with you guys is if you were to be 100% true to yourself, coming from the real you. What would change in your life? What would change in your life? If you were to be 100% real to yourself and be 100% honest coming from that core you, how would your life be different? Like if you would even think future and think if, if I were to be living like that for a period of time, what would be the big differences in my life right now? It's interesting as I talk about this, and a kind of a lot of the show is me talking and thinking at the same time. But it's interesting in a way because to me, I imagine a few people listening to this are almost a little bit. I don't know if threatens the right word, but it's almost one of those yes but moments. 
you know, I would love to be able to live my life based on the real me, but you don't understand my life. It's in some ways it takes, and in some ways this is a sad reflection, really. But in some ways, it takes courage to be the person who moves towards making decisions based on being the real you. And I know I'm just thinking of one of my clients right now. This uh, this person has achieved massive growth over the last kind of eighteen months that we've been working together, maybe a year or so since we've been working together. And it's really interesting to see them when they reflect upon the person who started this journey and and how they made so many decisions based on the needs of others that made them feel that they weren't really living their lives. And now that they're doing it in a place of them trusting them, the real them, it's actually making all areas of their life better. You know, not just their own experience of the world, but their connection with the world as well. And so I suppose the second point of today's show, and this is a really important point, I think, is, is are you making decisions on your life based on the real you based on what the real you would honestly do if you're not how do you start to become the person who, or if you're not how, how do you figure out who you are that's always a pretty hard question as well how do you figure out who you are like some people don't even know who the real them, them is it's been so long since I've been away for it or maybe they've spent their whole life trying to you know, bang somebody else's drum. So maybe there's even that moment for you. But then from there, once you understand who the real you is, then how do I become a person who consistently makes those decisions? Because if you're a person who's consistently making decisions based on the real you, and what's you know what what's honestly important to you, and honestly what you want from your life, you're going to be a successful person. But you are. Like what's success? Well, who knows what success is? It's, it's it's a different thing for different people. But if you're making decisions based on the real you, I'm pretty sure you're going to wake up in a life where all those good things we want from life are, are kind of just in the, at unlimited supply. It's it's interesting, isn't it? And it's kind of as I was talking about this before. In some ways, sadly. It takes courage for a lot of people to be able to move towards this. But if I'm trying to encourage anything today, is I'm encouraging you to be courageous with you being you. I'm giving you permission. Not that it's up to me to give you permission, but but I'm encouraging you to, to, to put some of your 20% time, you know, that time I'm going to work on myself into doing that. Because again, as I said before, ultimately, if I'm making decisions from the real me, and I'm being true to myself, I'm going to be successful in life. So, as always, I wrap these bits up with my be the best version of yourself, but if I kind of wrap up today's main segment of this whole idea of to grow, you need time and resource. It might not be 20% time, but there needs to be a percentage. And it needs to be a percentage with an attitude of it's okay if I don't succeed. It's okay if this isn't the, the correct way, because I'm going to learn and evolve from this. But then also, when I think about it, I'm going to put this time into this, maybe the, the person who should be leading this is you. Maybe the person who should be leading this is the real you. And if you do that, surely you're going to be that better version of yourself. Righto guys, that's pretty much the main gist of today's show done. Hopefully there's some stuff for you to think about in there. Um, yeah, but uh, I don't know, I think these are kind of two important kind of things. This whole idea of am I actually giving myself that time? And who are you? Oh, it's, it's, uh, like, to be honest, when I teach, we've got our kind of cycling class, which is called RPM. And one thing you learn as an instructor is sometimes the best way, well, often the best way to motivate is just to ask hard questions. And uh, and I, I don't know if you used the who are, who are you question a lot, but lately at least. But, you know, there was a period of my teaching where I used to throw that question out quite a lot. And it was just that whole idea of, you know, and I love asking that question in, in, in the hard moments. You know, like it's one thing to, for me to just chuck it out on the show. But who is the true you? But I love it when someone's fatigued. 
you know, and to me, that's the ultimate test. Is it's, it's it's easy to be strong when you are fresh, but when I'm weak, who are you? And that's you know, so anyway. It's just stuff to think about. Uh, if you want to become a patron of the Bevan James Isles show, you go to bevanjamesisles.com. It's all pretty obvious on the website. Uh, and yeah, pretty much that's it. You can join all the other people who are patrons of the show. And if you already are a patron of the show, I've got 45 people who are patrons of the show nowadays. So I just really appreciate those people who put some of their hard-earned cash my way. I'm actually about to head off to Hawaii. So I'm leaving to Hawaii to tomorrow. Um really look forward to it. I've been to Hawaii a few times over the years and I'm going to do some work at the Ironman World Championships and do some podcasting work there, some media work there. Uh, it's, it's always a very kind of cool experience because it's cool for me in a few ways. A, I don't know, it's a pretty amazing race, race to watch. And B, because of the nature of the work I'm doing, we get access to some very high level people in their most important time and I always I think it's a privilege to be actually have to sit down and dig deep into someone's head when they're at the most important moment in their life. Like it's one thing to have a chat to someone after the fact, and you often see that with athletes, isn't it? You know, like, you know, Richie McCaw is the All Black captain from last year, and he was the most successful All Black captain of all time, probably the most successful rugby captain of all time. And we're kind of seeing his story unfold in the public now. So he's recently brought out a documentary, and his books and that have come out. But imagine what it would have been like to sit down with Richie McCaw a couple days before the Rugby World Cup and, and get deep with him, not just kind of, you know, because some of the problem with a lot of media around sport is that it's pretty boring because they just give us the PC answers. And it's one of the things I love about podcasting as a thing is that there's something about the length of a long podcast and the nature of just it's quite relaxed that people seem to just release and let go. And, um, you know, imagine what it would have been like to sit down with Richie McCaw the week before his Second World Cup rugby final, which was a defining moment because no team had ever won it back to back and it was kind of was the last moment of his legacy. And to sit down with this man on that week and kind of chew the fat and, and see what it was like to be him and what, what he's going through. And luckily for me with the podcasting, you know, for these pro triathletes, this is the defining moment of their life. You know, if they can win this race, this this shifts everything in their life from that moment forward. They are the world champion Ironman. And that opens their life up to such a different pathway. And to talk to them on, you know, the few days before they do that and to kind of see the vulnerability, see the confidence, see the questioning, see the effort and the fatigue that they go through... It's, it's a really appealing thing to be a part of. And so I feel very fortunate that I get to do that. So I'm going to be off to Hawaii to do that. And while there, I'm going to, I'll work on my tan, um, which is good. Put a bit of sunblock on as well. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So I'll be back in a couple of weeks from Hawaii. I have got an interview lined up for the next show. So that'll be good. There'll be an interview show. And uh, yeah, you guys rock on. So I'll see you in a couple of weeks and keep doing what you're doing. Anyway, guys, see ya. Bye.